Good morning. Hey, can I, can I, you know, I, I know part, part of what we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that most of us are moving in too many directions, too fast, and can't keep up. So it's very possible that you've got a lot planned this Sunday, and, and even just being here was an accomplishment, and you're hoping the service doesn't go too long because you've got a lot of stuff to get to today, et cetera, et cetera. But there's an opportunity today to look a man and his wife in the face and say thank you for their serving, for the impact they've had in our lives. Many of us directly, there's many who are sitting here who have benefited from the teaching, from the leading in music, from counseling sessions, uh, from coordination of, of homeschool activities and events that have taken place through uh, Ronald and Andrea's lives. So uh, we, we are moving too fast in too many categories. Can I get an amen? amen? We are overlooking very, very important things. Maybe you can't stay for lunch today, but there is something about in the kingdom of God is just a reality. And I, hope, and I hope we've read our Bibles and we know this is true. There are, you know, Ronald has served here with us for about six years now. And uh, there's a dimension where part of that serving is a man holding a guitar or it's a person having a conversation or he's reading from some notes that he's prepared, etc. But you and I live in a world where we know that there are spiritual realities. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So before anybody stands in this pulpit, picks up a guitar or counsels across from you, there has been wrestling going on in heavenly places that show up in their lives. And so... It, when, in saying, hey, I'm going to come violent, I'm going to come serve in a church, it is to put your life in the crosshairs of an enemy who opposes the kingdom of God coming. And so for six years, this family has taken a barrage of assaults from the enemy in order to hamper and hinder whatever God is doing here in their lives and through them to us. So I hope you cannot let yourself leave here today without thanking this man and his wife for serving us uh, in those quiet spaces where no one was seeing the battles that were being fought just for them to serve here, but in the ways in which they've obviously impacted our lives. So love you, bro. And uh, we're going to pray for them at the end of the service. Uh, so you'll be able to join in with us in doing that. All right, well, this morning, I want to introduce something to us, and I want to give us a lot of reason to put value in it. We're going to stand up something this summer called Dinner and Discipleship, and uh, it's just exactly those two things. It's a meeting designed to feed us both physically and spiritually, and what we're trying to do with this is we're recognizing this, and, and, and I should be able to get a big amen on this. Um, the church is called to disciple people. That's a series that we've been teaching through a good bit, just to get our, our footing again. That we are an entity designed for discipleship. That, that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And discipleship has this, this element to it. The word disciple is, is the Greek word mathetes. It means learner. And so when we are learning, when following Christ, that's the very core of discipleship. So at the heart of discipleship is coming to know things. And then, you know, as all of us have walked with God, we know something and then we, and then we know it more deeply next week. And then next year we're going to know a little bit more deeply, right? So that's discipleship. That's how we grow. Uh, 
it would be the observation of most leaders in the body of Christ today to say, I think and agree, that the world is out-discipling us. The world gets access to us. It teaches us faster. It reinforces its ideas more frequently. Uh, An idea gets stood up. And what's amazing today, and I have a massive concern because apart from the anointing of God, whatever I'm going to say today can't compete. What is in our world today is an amazing ability of the enemy to take an idea and proliferate it quickly and then to make it feel right. And pay attention to that because it's not just a matter of whether you can think it's right. Does it feel right? There's stuff I say from the pulpit that I know feels like that can't be right. That can't be how God is. That can't be what we're supposed to believe. Why does it feel that way? Because the enemy has figured out a way to not just get ideas out there, but to get them to feel a certain way. And here we come along and we are, we're a discipleship organization. What God's called us to be is to learn this and follow him. And we're getting out discipled. So we, we don't have need of less engagement with knowing things about God and about his word. We are in need of more. But quite honestly, it's really, really, really hard for churches to get around each other today. Because we're so busy and we've got so much going on. So this is an experiment for us this summer to stand up something called dinner and discipleship. And and part of it, we're just trying to tap into the fact that we recognize life is busy, uh, but you got to eat, right? So if we picked a week, a a, a night in the week and we said, hey, I tell you what, you just come, we'll feed you. So you don't have to prepare a meal. You don't have to go home, dirty pots, run the dishwasher, clean up. You know, you, you get all that back. You just come here, you eat, and, and maybe you'll see the schedule of what, what, what this will be. Maybe you can't come for dinner that night, but you can come for the meeting where the teaching takes place and the, and the discussion and interaction takes place. Um, so you guys know we've got a limited number of venues where you can gather with the church. We're adding this one as an experiment. If it flops this summer, it doesn't mean because it's not the right thing. It might just mean we're just too busy to be Christians, aren't we? That might be what we learn. But it is an experiment. It's going to start uh, June 9th, I think, if I'm remembering my days correctly. That's a Thursday night. It's, it's not going to be every Thursday night. It's going to be spotty Thursday nights throughout the summer as we study through some material. And the material is drawn from what I'm going to share today. Today's just setting up the need for this issue of what I'm calling today the problem of pace. The pace of our lives it's a problem. It's a problem, even if we weren't even talking about the Bible. It's a problem emotionally for people. There is, there is more suicide, depression, emotional difficulties in people's lives than, than I can remember in my lifetime. There is more physiological stress-related issues taking place in people's lives. We, we've just constructed a world that's not kind to us when it comes to just living in it. But from a discipleship standpoint, some of you guys will recognize this name. If you don't, this is one of those guys and books that you can't get to heaven if you haven't read it yet. All right. So A.W. Tozer was a pastor uh, from the last century. If you don't know Tozer, get familiar with him. He's a worthy read always. He wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, which outstanding, outstanding book. 
He says this in the preface. He says, true religion confronts earth with heaven and brings eternity to bear upon time. The messenger of Christ, that's us, though he speaks for God, he must also, as the Quakers used to say, speak to the condition of his hearers. Otherwise, he will speak a language known only to himself. His message must be not only timeless, but timely. He must speak to his own generation. What will we say to our generation right now? What would be timely for our generation right now? What does it feel like to be living right now? Well, just think back in this week. What did you encounter this week? You're probably feeling somewhat like me, a little bit emotionally drained by watching humanity. The events in Ukraine or Uvalde, just watching the life of human beings play out. I'm not indifferent and you're not either. You watch those stories and and you, you sent kids to elementary school, didn't you? You know what it was like. To just send them off to school and think they're coming home. And then to watch these news stories and to think, how horrible is this? Evil is just rampant in our world and affecting lives in gut-wrenching ways. And, And then you, you know, and that's coming on the heels of other stuff that came before it. Our world feels constantly in conflict. Everybody is on the verge of picking a fight. Or getting in a fight. All the time. And that comes into our settings. That comes into our families. Families are dysfunctional. Splintering. Not talking to each other. Distancing themselves from one another. Canceling each other. People feel more isolated. I don't know if you get this or not. But there's some people in your family. Maybe I'm reading somebody's mail here. Or somebody watching online. But there are people in your family that offended you because they are on the wrong side of some political thing or because they said something that you don't really care for and now you're kind of distanced them. Can I, can I just tell you that there's, there was a relational connection. Now that person is more isolated than they used to be. And the emotion of this world that sits upon them in their isolation and their loneliness is ratcheted up in their lives. There, there's more, as I said earlier, there. The, the rates of suicide has gone drastically up since the turn of the century. Drastically up. More talk of depression. Down to younger age groups. Right now we're talking about suicidal thoughts for elementary school kids. 60 Minutes had a special on that I watched the other night where they interviewed a kid who was 11 years old. Talking about suicidal thoughts that he had been managing since he was 9. This is the world that we live in. Something is simply not working. But here's a question, because these are, these are dislodging events, right? You've heard me use the, the, the term deconstruction. Deconstruction is where somebody picks up the faith that they once had. How, can I say the faith that was probably a pretty flimsy faith, right? They went out from us because they never were part of us. That's what the Bible says about people. That there are people who follow Jesus for reasons within themselves that the second Jesus stops being what they wanted him to be, they're going to stop following him. That was true in the Bible. And it's still true today. 
So there's a thin discipleship today that people are, man, you could be here. It's like, hey, I, you know, I've liked a couple things you've said, or I kind of like the Bible a little bit here and there. But, but at some point, the Bible's going to drift into some categories that you don't like. And your life is going to go on and take on some stuff that you don't like the way that feels. And today, in that thinness of faith, people are deconstructing that thin faith. And they're walking away from it. Because they don't like Uvalde events. Neither do I. But it doesn't make me deconstruct my understanding of God. But it could in this day. For a lot of folks, it could. So, so here's my question for us in this need for deeper discipleship. Question in your outline, I put this. Where do you begin to make sense of life in general and your life in particular? Where do you begin? How do you make sense of the fact that your life isn't exactly where you wanted it to be at this moment? And people around you, their lives are in a hard place, a difficult, struggling, catastrophic place in there. How do you make sense of where do you even begin to start to evaluate that and figure out where to put it? Let me go back to Mr. Tozer here from the knowledge of the holy. He says, this is one of my favorite all-time quotes. Some of you guys will be worn out with me using it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image, our mental image of God. When life happens and it shows up at my doorstep, there's a concept of God in me. Now, how many of you guys know that might be an accurate one or an inaccurate concept of God? And what am I going to do with that God in that moment? Because I, in that moment, I need an accurate understanding of God. That's where I need to start, right? So my question after that in your outline is, when the headlines of life hit, do you find yourself moving toward God or away from him? You don't have to get past the headlines this week. Or if you've been watching updates from the Ukraine... And you're watching human beings like you. Their story is like yours. Life feels for them like it feels for you. And there's stuff happening in their world that's very uncomfortable to watch. So when you heard that this week, was your inclination to move toward the God that you have in mind? Or away from him? This is a discipleship question at its right starting point. Because it has everything to do with what you believe about God. Let me pull us back into Psalm 46. We've hung out there at the men's retreat. We've visited Psalm 46 this year. There's, it's inexhaustible. <laughs> Psalm 46 verse 1. God is, statement of fact, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in 
trouble. Right, when you read the Bible, I hope, you, I hope you chew on it and taste it and don't just swallow verses whole. God is, statement of divine fact, our refuge. Do you run away from a refuge or toward one? When lightning strikes, when bombs are going off, when it's not safe out in the open, what do you do? You seek a refuge. God is that refuge. So when life shows up, according to the Bible, if I knew God the way the Bible described God, I would run toward him. I would seek him out. He is our refuge. He is our strength. What about when your life starts to feel like you can't do that? I don't have the resources for that. I don't have the strength for that. I don't have the mental acuity for that. I don't know the right people for that. I don't have the strength to do whatever it is life demands of me right now. Well, God is our strength. And in the moment where I feel frightened and limited, do I move toward God? Or do I move away from him? He is a very present help. How many of us sometimes can feel like the Uvalde events of life raise a question about that? Is he a help? Really? Why did that happen? Is he very present? Why is this going on in my life right now? See, the event is more convincing to me than God is. Does that make sense? The event shows up and it's loud and educates me just like that and I go with it. But this is divine truth. This does not change. God is a very present help in trouble. That's true. The problem here is, do I know this to be true? That's my problem. And remember, disciples are learners. Have I learned this is really true? I do know this about God. My concept of him. It's amazing. It's majestic. It's awe-inspiring. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. It's sure. Do I know God that way? Or do I have some cheap, flimsy understanding of the nature and character of God that when life shows up in its difficult moments, I'm, I'm going to pull that God out of my bag. That's the one I've learned about because I haven't had a lot of time. To really meditate and get around him and have my thoughts come in line with and have divine revelation go off in my soul to make me aware of what this God is really like. Mr. Tozer goes on. One more thought from Mr. Tozer and I'll be done with him. He says the message of this book, the one that you have to read before you get to heaven, does not grow out of these times. Now for him, these times are the middle part of the last century. So probably about 60 years ago, he calls these times. Well, listen to what he says. Quite honestly, Mr. Tozer, you could learn some lessons from us about our times because they're more severe than yours were. This message of this book does not grow out of these times, but it is appropriate to them. It is called forth by a condition which has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing Worse, I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking and worshiping. Men. 
you know, the, the more accurate our understanding is, and you see people in Scripture who get front row seats to God, you know, their sense of the awareness of the majesty and awe of God, it, it feels life-threatening. It drains the air from you. You can't gasp enough to say, holy. Um, there's something about seeing God accurately that is mind-blowing. It would make for the most noisy singing worship service you have ever heard. The reason why any of us don't sing loudly enough is because we haven't stared long enough. We don't see God for who he really is. So we kind of don't have a lot to sing about. And our hearts don't spring forth. Listen, we're, we're not a choir recording something here. Our hearts... I can use this, you'll remember it if I say it in a real weird way. Our hearts are vomiting out affection. Right? You know when, when you vomit, you kind of don't do that on purpose? <laughs> At least I don't. I resist it to the point of bloodshed. And then my body says, hey, dude, like it or not, that's what we're doing right now. Uh, <laughs> worship from the heart is sort of like that. It stores up and stores up and stores up impressions about God and interactions with him until the heart just needs to vomit. It just needs to project back to God. I'm blown away with who you are and what you've done. That's, that's what singing should sound like, right? So can you remember Lakeview Christian Center, the church where we vomit during worship? Tell people to come to church here. It'll be amazing. Tozer goes on and says, this problem, this condition, he says, this she has done, not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We've lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly, to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. Now, Tozer was a bit of a prophet to his moment. I don't know what he would do with that line if he stared into our day. Mr. Tozer, I don't think you know what bustling looks like. You're living in the 1950s and 60s. That? was bustling to you? We have only gotten five times faster and more complicated than the life that he was describing. And in our day, we are a bustling bunch of people. We have a massive pace problem. So the idea that the Bible would come along and say, be still <clears throat> and know that I am God. 
would be to put its foot into an issue of our lives that is rather difficult and unyielding. We don't know how to be still anymore. We think our pace, if we could dial back our pace 10, 15 miles an hour, we'd still be going way too fast. So there is a chronic challenge to discipleship is that we, we don't invite and invigorate a knowledge of God, our complex and chaotic lives. They, they, they create a hurried and thin discipleship. That's what discipleship in our day is like. It's hurried and it's thin. And then sometimes it's just, it's just earthy, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're very busy keeping up with the Kardashians, and we don't keep in touch with God. I mean, how do, we, how do we stay current on the Kardashians? But it's like, when was the last time we were really engaging with God in a deep, meaningful way? But, you know, somehow we justify the idea that well, I, don't, I just I've got a lot going on. I don't have time for that. Well, you might need to reconsider exactly what do we have going on? Could we, could we take some time? This is what we want to do this summer. To take our lives apart. And consider, how might we reset our lives in such a way that we actually create lives? No matter, can I just tell you this? No matter what a church does, if you go to a different church, no matter what your church does, if you don't have room for it in your life, it doesn't matter what your church does. And if you're personally not a disciple of Jesus Christ, personally, by that I mean you personally connect with God. You hang out with him. You have regular conversations with him. You break open your Bible. You cry in private. You laugh together with God. You rehearse the day. You stare at things in scripture and they come to life for you. If that doesn't take place for you and all you're doing is what's here, no matter what your church does, you will, you will be a disciple who shows up at life's moments with a very, very small God. And I hope your little God will survive the onslaught of life. And you don't deconstruct him and walk away from him. Let me just tell you, no one's ever walked away from the true God. What we walk away from is our cheap versions of him. And where does that come from? It, it, it comes from just not staring deeply at who he really is. We don't learn him well. So therefore, he gets run off and chased off very easily by, by life. Here's what apostolic discipleship has at its core, right? This is what the apostles sounded like. You hung out with Jesus and you got these impressions. John chapter 17, verse 3, apostle John says, In this, in this is eternal life that they understand and know thee. Understand and know. This is depth, right? This is not just acquainted with, oh, I've heard of him. I can spell that. I, could, I, well, I think I can find a Bible passage. I think I can find Well, I know John 3.16. Uh, I could probably find another Bible passage about Jesus that says something about him. And this is some people who call themselves Christians today who have this kind of a concept of God. But, but John says, this is life that you understand and know him. The one true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So whatever else that we're busy in our life with, the apostles come along and they say, hey, this is life right here. 
Now, I know you need to have a job, and the Bible's all over that. I mean, you have families, and you, you know, you got responsibilities, and you eat stuff, and you make time for this. Stuff. But in this is life. Here's the priority. You want life? Life is found in understanding and knowing the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Right? The Apostle Paul prayed this for the Ephesians. He wasted no time, chapter 1, communicating with the Ephesians, saying, hey, this is my heart toward you. Here's my priority for you. Verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What are you praying for us, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Does that that sound like something that you'd want? Of all the things Paul could be praying for, you've got stuff going on in your life right now, right? What would you really have like to have happen right now? I mean, what, what's been bugging you this week? What would really fix your internal torment? What would just set you at peace and say, ah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. I mean, just figure out whatever that is. Wouldn't you like Paul to be praying for that? And in some ways, this kind of reminds, I've told the story before, the, the, the year my parents for Christmas got me a croquet set. <clears throat> you know, little balls, you hit them through a little loop in the grass and stuff. And uh, it was the only Christmas that I remember opening up the present and crying, just bursting into tears. Like, you know, you got the little, you got the little gifts and then you got the main event gift. And so there's this anticipation that, okay, this is going to change the whole year for me, whatever this is. And it's a croquet set. I literally just burst into tears. I was like, what, what do I do with this? Who cares? Uh, Paul, really? A spirit of wisdom and revelation? You don't to know stuff? Really? Dude, I got financial issues. I can hardly walk. My back hurts. My family's this. I need a good job. Paul, can I, can I help you out here, Paul? Can I tell you what to pray for for me? Uh, no, this is where he starts. More important than anything else that you and I can figure out about our lives is this right here. And God needs to help us here. This is not well-intended human beings. This is a God giving a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And this is what happens after that. Verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I'm praying this so that the lights can come on for you. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, I kind of dig those words, Paul. Those three words get my attention. Hope, riches, and power. Because there's a lot about my life that sit in those categories. Life for me feels the way it does, depending on what hope feels like. Dependent on my understanding of the things that I value, the riches, the things that I'm acquiring, am I moving and advancing in the categories that are important? That's my riches. And then, you know, there, there's stuff that needs to happen around me. I need, I need favor with people. I need a break to come some way. I, I, I need something good to happen. That's power in my life. So, hey, Paul, I'm all over those categories. Okay, we'll back up from them because I'm saying that those things need to be informed by your heart being enlightened with the knowledge of him. Now, can you all, can all of us get sobered by this verse? This is what Paul is praying for Christians. 
These aren't unbelievers he's referring to here. These are people he knows these guys. This is Ephesus. Paul spent time there. He knows they're walking with God, which is interesting. Paul, are you saying there's an unenlightened version of Christianity? There's a version where we live out this Christian life and our hearts have not been enlightened very much. That we're living in the shade and the partial darkness of a, a God that we don't know very well. Well, Mr. Tozer seems to think that's true. And the Apostle Paul, who is laboring in prayer for a group of people that he loves, praying that their hearts would be enlightened. Not that they already have been. You guys know everything that there already is to know. You're good. Oh God, I pray that they would. And I pray your spirit would move in such a way that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon them and lights would start coming on all over the place and they would see you the way you really are. That's what he's praying for this church here. Which means by implication, there's another way to do Christianity. The unenlightened version. The version where lights aren't coming on. Oh, we know a few things. We've, we've bumped into some truths here and there. You talk to the average Christian, and most Christians are going to tell you about something they learned within the first year and a half of being saved. Lights were coming on all over the place. And then all of a sudden, it's like a power outage. Where it just got dim. And we don't know too much deeply after that. We just know stuff. <clears throat> I bump into this as a pastor because sometimes I, you know, in your first year and a half, your first year and a half is a lot of good intentions and a lot of bad theology. And it takes a while to read enough of the Bible for you to figure out, ooh, that was a really bad idea that I believed with all my heart in the first year. And I was so zealous for it. And I was going to change the world with that thing that doesn't even sound like it's really in the Bible. And it took you some years later. But what's amazing is you could be 20 years later and still repeating that stuff. How are we doing? Growing in the knowledge of God. This is so central to being a Christian. But, but realize that there's, there's an alternative version available. There's something else between growing in the knowledge of God. There's something else available, right? Jeremiah pointed at it this way. Just sits on the alternatives. Jeremiah 9 said, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast, who boasts? Let him boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord. Listen, <clears throat> I am the Lord who practices covenant love, has, has said steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight declares the lord okay i'm just going to shock everybody here and if you need to make an appointment with me you can come see me afterwards but this is god presenting himself in a way that challenges the value system of people people who tend to boast in things that's where they put their hope and their value and god comes along and says hey boast in this that you understand and know me i'm a god of love is that what this verse says? But is that all that you would have said? Because it's a very dangerous thing for you and I. Be very aware of this for the rest of your life. You live in a world that likes to play with the word love. Likes to play with it. 
It wants to shape it, package it, and sell it. It's not exactly the same word that God uses. But it sounds similar. And I can't tell you how many people have been out-discipled by the world that when they come and have a conversation about their understanding of God, all they talk about is the love of God. I've heard pastors preach messages where they don't even refer to the gospel. They don't refer to God and his purposes for his own glory. They refer to the love of God. Everything answers to the love of God as though everything about our life is supposed to answer to the love of God. But when God speaks for himself, he says, I am the God who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. He doesn't apologize for that. This isn't some cheap version of God. This is God in all of his complexity. And I get it. He's over my pay grade. I totally get it. But there were a bunch of Christians that when the latest version of news came to them this week, whether it came from Ukraine or Uvalde, or it came from your backyard, the God who went on trial, did you move toward that God? The God who right here says, hey, if you want to boast in something, boast that you get this about me, that I'm the God of covenant, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, and I delight in these things. You know what? I may not be able to fully understand how the God of covenant love and justice and righteousness is involved in Ukraine or in Uvalde. I, I, I may not get that, but I will get this. The more I'm the other version of what Jeremiah describes here, the more time I have spent investing in my wisdom, man's wisdom and my wisdom and my riches and man's ideas about what's valuable and what I should go after next and man's versions of what's mighty and powerful and respectable. The more I spend time in that alternative, the more I'm going to call God into question because I don't know him. I know the system of this world which has always been available. And then now you can pull on a little bit of that and pull it into the church. We don't mind pulling a conversation about love because we're all into love. We like that word because the world has taught us to like that word, but the world doesn't taught us to love the word justice. It doesn't teach us to love the word righteousness. If you love those two words, you'll love Jesus Christ. If you blow those two words off, and you've got a God who just kind of loves in some vague way that you don't really understand what that even means, you don't need Jesus. You just need God to get on board with whatever it is that you're on board with. And when he doesn't, that's when you'll give him his pink slip and let him go. But this is the God revealed in Scripture. And life comes to us, right? I mean, back in Psalm 46, life comes to us. And we are challenged in that psalm to know something else more than we know the circumstance. That's the challenge in Psalm 46, right? God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. All right, so there's trouble, it's noisy, it's convincing, it's threatening. And then there's, there's God who is the way he is. And they're about to get in competition with each other. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, if all I know is the trouble, I will fear. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So the things of life that we've depended upon, 
they're shifting and moving and they've become uncertain and it's made us feel this moment. And then, then he's going to move on next. Okay, so circumstances, then he's going to move to people. The people in your life are closing in on you and surrounding you. And they, you're like a city under siege. This is the image he creates next. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Why does he bring up there's a river? Well, because when you choke the city, you starve them to death and you cut off their water supply. And, and that's what life feels like sometimes, right? The people around us have surrounded us and they've cut us off from life and we're panicking. And God says, hey, can, can I get you to be aware of something else? Can I get you to know this? That there's a river in the city where you are? Right? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her, right? So this is just competing information here. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Morning dawn is when the attack comes, right? The lights come on. The army has surrounded the city. And next thing you know, as soon as light comes, the arrows are coming over the wall and here they come. Well, God says, God will help. The very present help, God will help when morning comes. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is something to us. So what's gonna rescue us in this moment of a city under siege and life is moving and shaking? Well, according to Psalm 46, an accurate knowledge of God is going to rescue us. Knowing God the way he really, really is, is going to rescue us. Being convinced in ourselves that God really is what he's depicted as for us to believe in. And then the psalm says this, this what Tozer called irrelevant verse. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come have a look. Come read his resume. Come know him, disciples. Come learn how he has brought desolations in the earth. That thing over there is threatening you. Let me show you what God can do. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire, right? He's just reading God's resume. Just having a little discipleship class. Hey, have you noticed this about God? Have you noticed this about God? How about this about him? And then verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Here's the recipe. Life is coming for all of us. And when it shows up, it's going to be confusing, threatening. It's going to surround you. It's going to have people that are raging it's going to have circumstances that move things that you thought could never be moved in your life. And God's call to his disciples is two things here, right? There's movement and there's focus. Come and behold. Come stare at something. Come become a specialist in this. And it's not the Kardashians, right? Come look at this. Come know this really, really well. Stop being a first grader theologically. Stop it. You can't do life with the amount of knowledge you have about God, but yet you know everything about this temporary world and the latest trending goofy idea that's out there. God says, stop it. Come. This, there's a, come, this is a weighty word. Whenever you see the word come, there's implications here because it means you are somewhere else that you need to move away from. Come, when Jesus says, come to me, 
He's saying, whatever you've been going to, stop going to that and come to me. I mean, when we repent and turn to God, we come to him. That means we leave a location and go to a new location. Come behold, which means I've been staring at something else. Well, come stare at this over here, Keith. Be still and know. And there's the problem. Because we all are buying into the message I'm preaching right now. The knowing part is really, really important, isn't it? The problem in this passage is knowing is preceded by being still. And we don't do that well. So no matter how much I can convince you that knowing as a disciple sits at the center of whatever life you and I are ever going to live on this planet, I can convince you that. And we'll all sign on for that pretty quick. But if we can't be still, we will not know very well. And we can't afford that. Not personally, not as the kingdom of God in this hour, not as a local church. And if you need any convincing to jump into settings of discipleship where learning is being set before us to reinforce, help us stare at, become better acquainted with, be convinced about God's ideas versus other ideas. This is, I'm going to read you these quotes real quick. I could probably drown you in this, but I won't. Quick thought from some guys who are staring out at the world that we're living in. And see if you identify here. See if this is what it feels like for you that we're going to move away from, we hope. John Mark Coma wrote an interesting book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says it may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. True for you or no? True for me, unfortunately. Which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives. Which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God. Which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. This is where the world is out discipling us. Which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. And pastors, by the way, are the worst. He rated business in my profession right up there with lawyers and doctors. David Murray, who wrote the book Resets, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, which is one of the books that we're going to study through. The men will study through Reset this summer. The ladies will study through Refresh. He and his wife uh, wrote this book. David is a, a pastor, a professor, a, a counselor, which I think gives him some unique angles to dig into our lives with. Uh, professor and theologian uh, and, and pastor and author. So he, he's got a lot of game in, in this category and has written an excellent book. And he and his wife have written a, a book to help ladies as well. So these are the materials we're going to use to attack the issue of pace in our lives. And David says in his book, he says, I've discovered that such pacing skills are in short supply among Christian men with the result that too many, especially those most committed to serving Christ in their families, in the workplace, and in the local church, are crashing or fading fast before their race is over. 
the last few years have produced more conversations where exhaustion is part of that conversation with people than I can ever remember. People are exhausted more than ever. Just feel exhausted. Um, Some of you guys who have been in church forever can remember, you know, when we grew up, we were there every time the church doors were open. I mean, some of y'all remember that stuff, right? You were raised by grandparents and parents who that's what they sounded like. And by the way, the church doors were open a lot. You know, you had, you had a Sunday school class, and you had Sunday morning service, and you had Sunday night service, and you had Wednesday night service, and then you had revival services. I mean, you just, you just had the church doors open a lot. So whatever's exhausting us, can I, can I just break some news to us? It's not the church. Our schedule doesn't look anything like that. But we do need to figure out, why do I feel so tired mentally, emotionally, physically? Well, this, this study is really, really well done. Uh, the books do an excellent job of helping you just navigate through the things that kind of creep into our soul, the emotional weights that we carry, some of our own personal wiring and where we've come from in our lives. We get to discover ourselves a little bit in terms of how that influences the way we do life. So it's a very thorough book. It doesn't just sit down and teach deep theology. As a matter of fact, it doesn't spend a lot of time teaching a lot of deep theology as much as it just helps us recreate a world that has healthy categories in it that God designed and made clear in his word for us. And so that's, that's going to, and, and it will take a summer for us. I mean, you guys recognize, you know, when you apply the brakes to a car moving really, really fast, it doesn't instantly stop. Right, so for us to change pace, it's going to take us some time. So maybe all this study is going to do for a lot of us this summer is it's going to awaken us to the categories of our lives that we need to adjust and do some things differently. Because in the long run, we want to learn how to be still and to be able to know this God. We want to be able at least to be available to the knowledge of God. Brady Boyd wrote a book called Addicted to Busy. Recovery for the rushed soul. And he says, ultimately, every problem I see and every person I know is a problem of moving too fast for too long in too many aspects of life. That's pretty well said. And I saw this came out. It's caught my attention back in December. Some of you guys will remember uh, the Surgeon General made a statement and he sent out a concerning I don't know what they call it when, when the Surgeon General issues these, these published statements. It's kind of like something he wants all of healthcare and schools to pay attention to, et cetera. This, this is what it said. It said, mental health challenges in children, adolescents, and young adults are real and widespread. Even before the pandemic, an alarming number of young people struggled with feelings of helplessness, depression, and thoughts of suicide. And rates have increased over the past decade. The Surgeon General is noticing whatever it is we've constructed as a way to do life, even kids can't keep up with it. And it's not producing good fruits in their lives. So, so here's what we're doing this summer. We're going to take on the problem of pace. Um, and so I, I, think, I, I want you to leave here today just with a couple of things in mind. I think all of us resonate. I, I know I do because it's what God's put in our hearts. All of us resonate with the sense of, man, more than anything else, I want to know God. 
That's true more than anything else about my life. I want to know him. I want to taste and see the goodness of God and experience all that he is in my life. I want that. And so I I come into agreement with this message pretty easily because it's what I want. And then I bump into the fact that on Monday, that's going to get challenged a certain way. And by next week, it'll, it'll, it'll be hard to pull that off somehow. And we can all just live in the, in the category of good intentions, but God actually calls us to do something. Come and behold, be still. He actually thinks we're going to pull that off. And then he's going to meet us in those moments. So uh, here's what I hope you'll do. I I hope as many of you as possible will jump into our summer study. You got a little bit of time before we get started. Like I said, not not this Thursday, but the next Thursday, we'll introduce the study. Uh, You don't have to do any previous reading. The books are available in the bookstore. If you're an electronic reader, you can download them through Kindle uh, and get access to them. You don't have to rush through them because we're going to kind of pace ourselves and go a couple of chapters at a time. As we study through, uh, if you're here and you're saying, well, you know, Keith, I'm not a big reader. Uh, here's my response to that. Stop it. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. Right. It's like saying I'm a disciple, but I'm not really a learner. Uh, it doesn't work that way. If you are a disciple, you are a learner. How do I learn stuff? Well, you have to ingest information. So if, if you have an electronic device, you're a learner. You're just learning from the images and whatever your thumb does. The next thing that pops up when your thumb does that, you're learning. And then after that, you learned again. Oh, look at that. That's the 10th time I've seen that. I wonder if that really is the way to do that. Look at everybody believes this. That's what you're doing all day long. Can you read something worth reading? Right? So we're going to recommend a couple of books to you. They're worth reading. And they will help in these categories. They will make us learners in places that are really helpful. And and this is just the launch of what we hope we'll do multiple times uh, in the future. So you'll see at the end of your outline there, when is this? June 9th. You can see the outline for the evening. You pull up here 615. You eat dinner together with you. Catch up with some friends. Hey, arrange to have some. You guys could do like a little group study. You know, you could just get a few of you guys, you could get together and work through this material together, talk about life together to say, hey, we're going to show up on Thursday nights. We'll do dinner together. We'll sit at a table with each other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then at 650, we'll we'll have like a 20 minute devotional teaching. So it's not going to be an in-depth teaching. The book's going to do most of the teaching. The devotional teaching will help us all get in the same room so we can talk about some stuff that night. So the men will have a devotional teaching. The women will have a devotional teaching. We'll split up in the men and women, small groups that meet and sit around tables and just discuss some of these things. So the evening ends at 8.15. We're trying to just make this something that's, that's reasonable in terms of its length. So 8.15, you're done. Walk out. If you can't do dinner that night, show up at 10 minutes to 7. You're good to go. Uh, if you can only do a part of it, do a part of it. But, but create some space. Meets here at the church. And the resources are there. All right. We good? All right. Um, All right, well, I want us to participate in, in Ronald and Andrea and their family uh, going to the next place that God has for them. And uh, I, you know, I want us to realize something in these moments. You know, it's, it's very easy, you know, and, and I'm the worst at this, by the way. So if you're bad at this, you can get in line behind me. I like to keep everything. Are you one of those people? My wife loves this about me, by the way. Um, 
So when we've had to move twice in the last year, it's like, all right, I don't know if somebody, I, I'm going to tell on my wife here right now. Um, when, when we were gutting our house and, and things were being thrown into a dumpster, there were people there helping us. And the guys in the group would secretly come and find me. <laughs> and, they would, and they would bring stuff to me. And they would go, your wife was throwing this away. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, put that on the side. Uh, see, like the guy knew this, this is probably like a valuable tool that has to do with fixing cars or something. For Gene, it was like, throw it away. Right. So um, there is a, a, an aspect to doing life together with with you know folks that we have walked with and i like i like to hold on to everything so there's a part of me that wants to hold on to ronald and andrea or anybody who's ever left i don't want my kids to move out i've complained constantly about hey my kids are moving out of my house so, so I, I just want to keep things the same but I, I recognize you know for this purpose a man shall leave his father and cleave to his wife i mean god's got the next chapter for people's lives i just like for the book to end right here. Just one long, long chapter. Everybody stays here. Ronald and Andrew just stay here. We just get gray together. Maybe you'll get gray one day. I don't know. I think you color your hair, but anyway. Um, we'll just stay. And yet God just has this massive kingdom where he, he moves things and he picks stuff up, you know, from your own home and your life and your family. And some of your kids have moved far away because God's got purposes that aren't right here in your backyard. And so there's a moment where we're just participating in God's next chapter in people's lives. But this is what's a really important moment. This is, and this is sobering for me, but I take this seriously regularly. Uh, when, when guys have left here, have we lived with them, taught, emphasized, and modeled the gospel in such a way that they're leaving better than how they came? They, they're leaving more equipped. They're leaving with their gifts invigorated. They're, they're going to God's next place with a strength that they can bring to that setting. And listen, that's a Lakeview Christian Center thing. That's how we do life as a community. That's the influence we have on one another. That's the time we've spent reinforcing things with each other and walking in small group relationships, etc. So my, my great hope and prayer is that the Latinos are headed to North Carolina and are going to be a gift to that church and to those people. There are people in the kingdom of God who I pray that something that we've learned together, walked through together, that God has empowered for us to experience together is going gonna, is gonna to meaningfully bring brought into the kingdom over there and going to have an impact in those lives. So in some ways, you know, we, we're supposed to sow the seeds of the kingdom. And, and so... If we're, if we're bearing fruit, then we produce seeds and those seeds kind of get picked up and brought somewhere else and they get planted. And then the, the life that God has given germinates there. And, and so I look forward to just hearing. I mean, I've loved connecting with the pastor of the church over there. Um, I'm certainly hoping maybe one day he'll have me come over there. I'll have him come over here or something. Uh, but very like-minded church with just great values and great opportunities for the kingdom to come there. So I want us to pray for these guys. I want us to send them as missionaries, if you will, from the time that we've been together to their new assignment. So if the Laitanos who are here in our midst could come and the elders could come join me, 
our elders' wives would come join us on the platform here. Um, let's all participate together in sending these guys, and being a part of what God has next for them, grateful for what God has allowed us to share in together. I know we've got some illness breaking out with our some of our elders, so not all of them are able to be here this morning. As you guys know, sometimes I do a lot of messages sometimes that contain vocabulary words in them. They're just God's way of dropping a word into my heart that has some meaning to it. Um, so I want to I pray for us today as we think about these guys. Um, you know, when we look back, all of us have memories in our lives. And those memories sometimes have got some great things and they've got some hard things in them, et cetera, et cetera. But, but in the kingdom of God, God enables something in our lives as we look back. He enables gratitude. Because we're aware that, that God superintends our world. So the people and places and events of our lives, God has watched over them. You guys weren't here by, by accident. You were here because God divinely ordered that you would be part of our lives. Um, so, you know, we look back as a church and we have gratitude in our hearts. Um, thank you for leading us the way you led us this morning. Thank you for special times where we have been set before God's presence by the musical leadership, by cantatas and, and Christmas programs that go back even before you guys were here that invigorated our love for the incarnation and all that came in that moment. You guys came here. The thing on your resume was music and we stuck you in every other category but that. Um, kind of forced you to go to your, with your left hand. Um, but I, I think in God's grand scheme, uh, you know, we, Ronald got certified in, in biblical counseling through CCEF. Uh, he's going to a church that's seeking to build out a, a counseling program. And so they need more guys who have that kind of certification. So God was preparing him for that category. And, and many of you have benefited from the counseling care that he has brought that um, I know he's done an outstanding job of caring for people in really hard places uh, of life. Uh, Ronald has grown and been such a blessing in his preaching and teaching gift. I know recently we've just had a chance to have him in the pulpit a few times recently. And um, just what a blessing to have that category of your lives. But I, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the elders and the team. Uh, just uh, thank you for shouldering the burdens that go along with being a part of a church and being aware of how the enemy is opposing and how difficulties are coming and uh, what that's like and how it's showing up in people's lives and how care needs to be brought to that, help, helping us to try and bring wisdom to moments that were really hard to figure out what do we do next and how do we do that? Um, you guys wouldn't know this, but, but Ronald, Ronald is, is uniquely, I think, gifted in some ways. Uh, there are guys that I can sit down and unpack uh, cultural elements, church-wide impact. Uh, not a lot of guys that I've walked with show up in those categories, but I'm going to miss that a lot. He and I would have a lot of conversations that were very helpful. Uh, personally, dude, I, I, I just want to make sure you're aware. Thank you for moments where something told you just stick your head in my office 
and ask the right question uh, and just just care and just be concerned uh, or send me a text. Hey, I was praying for you. Um, super meaningful through these years, your friendship and uh, the ease with which it's been to walk with you and relate to both of you guys. So um, let's join together in just praying for the future of what God has in store for them. Father, when we look into the future, we remember a God who makes promises to us and those promises are very future oriented. So Lord, we stand here today anticipating something. Anticipating, Lord, what did you have in mind already? What have you already ordained and planned? Lord, what people are going to have their stories? Stories of struggle, stories of waywardness, stories of being lost, stories of being tempted, stories of perhaps confusion about their faith, stories that there's a lot of pain in their lives. And Lord, you are sending a messenger into their setting, both Ronald and Andrea showing up in people's lives to make a difference in their story. So God, even though we're not going to be front row seats for that, Lord, we are grateful that the story that you are going to be telling is going to be amazing and fulfilling, and fruitful. God, we pray for anointing in the next chapter. God, we pray for the mysterious power of your life manifest through them that brings impact to words that are shared to songs that are sung to words of encouragement and exhortation that are given lord to thinking together with other leaders lord wisdom that comes because there's an anointing by the spirit to contribute to that church and to its future decisions that they face and things that they do together as a leadership team. We pray over the callings that you have placed in their lives, that you would be fulfilling purposes that you have given to each one of them. Lord, that you would unite their family together, the calling that you've given them to be a family unit, the calling to be husband and wife and mother and father and children together in a new setting, in a new place learning some new ways and some new friendships and new connections. God, you have placed a calling on them as a family to serve in ministry. Lord, with all the challenges that that, that, that brings, God, we pray that you would give grace to that calling. You would fan the flame of the gift of God that is in their lives, specifically in Ronald's calling. Lord, that what was one size flame here will be a roaring fire in days to come. Lord, just amaze us at what you do in gifting this man to lead and to serve. God, we thank you for the mystery of getting to sow and send into a place where people are going to be ministered to. And so God, um, I didn't even know where Hickory was up until a couple of months ago. But Lord, my heart is toward those people that you would, you would bring much fruit, Lord. You would sow the seeds of what you have been doing in Ronald and Andrea's lives. 
And there would be much fruit in the future, Lord. You spoke of 30, 60, 100 fold. Lord, you, you spoke of multiplying our influence. So God, I pray that you just let that word multiply. Lord, you're not even talking about addition here. You're talking about multiplication. God, I, I pray that they would lean into a setting where you are multiplying what you're doing. And Lord, in the moment where it feels like we're in over our head, this is too big for us. And perhaps that day will be coming. Lord, you will remind them that it's never been about their strength. It's never been about their ability. Lord, it's always been about them depending upon you and looking to you and entrusting themselves to the nearness of your spirit to accomplish all this good. So Lord, we together, we look back with great gratitude. We look forward with great anticipation. Lord, may you receive much glory here for all that's been sown into our lives through Ronald and Andrea and there for what you are about to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, lunch is upstairs, and if you can't stay for lunch, at least find a moment just to hug on these guys and, and give them give them some love. <laughs>